Welcome to They Live By Film, a platform dedicated to bringing you film discussion and interviews from around the world. I'm Adam Lundy, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, Chris Haskell and Zach Bryant. Hello, hello guys. Hello, hello. How are we all doing today? Doing good, feeling fresh, feeling like a new logo. <laughs> yes, indeed. Keen-eyed viewers may have spotted a new logo. Um, I was going to wait. We're, we're coming up to our 100th episode. Uh, I think this is going to be episode 95 or 96, uh, if I remember correctly. So we're getting close to episode 100. And I thought maybe I'll save it for episode 100. But then it just kept sitting on my desktop staring at me. So I said, <laughs> ah, screw it. I'll just put it up now. So uh, listeners, hope you're hope you're liking the, the rebrand. It's been been long enough um, that we've got a proper logo and not just some uh, some uh, rights-free art that I stole from a website and put the, uh, some words over so the real on our uh, on our old logo is getting a little bit of vinegar syndrome we needed to to modernize it yes and indeed uh needed to upscale to digital so uh <laughs> all, all very good all very good uh before we get into today's films which obviously zach picked out for us uh anyone want to give a shout out to anything that they've seen or, or watched or ordered you want to go first zach or I can go first. Uh, so I don't know if you guys have had a chance to check it out, um, but Martin Scorsese's uh, new film, um, Killers of the Flower Moon trailer, recently released. I also think it was shown at Cannes last night. And uh, mm-hmm. of course, it got good reviews. That's not too shocking. Uh, I read the book years ago, so I'm very excited for the movie in general. Uh, it's a very, really good book. I would actually recommend people watch the movie because there's a lot of, I already feel like I'm spoiled of everything that's going to happen but it's it's very very good book and i think the movie's going to be great but i decided it was probably time that i actually complete scorsese um because i am nowhere close as far as i can tell so the other day i got through uh about four of his movies uh all kind of random which ones i watch is whichever ones i owned or i could stream uh went back through uh the departed which is still great uh it's still better than infernal affairs by a large margin so good job scorsese for making a remake of the original <laughs> uh which i will stand by um and then the second what did i watch after that i know i watched a bunch of leo i think i watched like three leo ones i, I won't remember the order uh, i also watched shutter island which is fine like shutter island's okay like i I think it's actually better on rewatch and i'm not gonna spoil it just for the weird few people who haven't seen it yet how ridiculous the whole plot is once you know everything actually kind of makes it more fun because it's played like really earnestly and it's like this is so over the top if you really like sit down and think about it for more than like five minutes but you know that kind of gives it an enjoyment factor too it's a decent little mystery uh the performances are fine um and my god i am really blanking on what the second one i watched was so while i'm talking i'm gonna have to look it up because i've blanked hard it's the like show oh, i haven't seen Shutter Island a long time oh, okay i haven't seen that one actually uh i like gangs is also one of those movies that's that's good um i actually feel like that's going to be closer to what like killers of the flower moon is going to be like tone wise but it is by far like carried by daniel day lewis like mm. he really makes leo feel like an amateur and leo is good in the movie but like um the character daniel day lewis plays is so good like that that makes every scene you almost feel weird because you're just waiting for his scenes to come back for like some of the movie you're like okay i, I want to see what more he's doing because <laughs> he's by far the most interesting character of the movie uh but still enjoyable it's it's beautifully shot you know i i remember reading like this um 
uh, this thing where it where the the time it came out everyone was talking about well you could have done these sets digitally and it, it, it's so great that it's not because one i don't think that would have aged well with 2001 uh special effects and two it's just it, it adds so much like, there's so much texture in the movie like the, everything looks so down and gritty and dirty and it's mm. like really good it's probably like the best he's ever shot new york in a lot of ways like it, it has like a lot of that taxi driver feel of that down and dirtiness to it but in its own unique way it's it's a very unique in in the sense of the atmosphere and and the bleakness to it and the final one i watched that day because this just had to be a heavy day was i ended up on silence um which has always been one of my favorites by him uh just fantastic movie um also beautifully shot i don't think it gets a lot of recognition and i'm not really sure why if it's just the subject matter or that it wasn't advertised well i'm not i'm not really sure because i don't remember it getting a lot of fanfare in 2016 i know people who have seen it like it but it seemed like it wasn't it kind of got stuck in between i guess wolf of wall street and the irishman and i don't know nobody really i i hear talk about it a whole lot uh great before and i and i kind of find myself as i'm going through this rewatch you know he likes to use leonardo dicaprio and um uh, robert de niro a lot honestly my top three neither one of them are in it because so far it's bringing out the dead uh the last temptation of christ and silence and i'm like mm-hmm. oh none of his usuals are in there and i don't know if that's gonna say anything going forward but i thought it was interesting did so. was it were they dressed as spider-man and uh kylo ren it'd have been cool if they were i mean you know there's some robes <laughs> in there so it kind of works <laughs> i feel like there's two types of scorsese scorsese fans there's people who like scorsese movies and then there's people who like scorsese gangster movies and, and it's weird because like mm-hmm. I, I know when i'm done with my uh ranking people are really gonna hate on the fact that i had goodfellas kind of low nah, and that's, i like that movie. mistake already <laughs> yeah I, I i like goodfellas uh i don't love it like i think it's got a, like a really really it's a cool movie but it doesn't do a lot for me like it's, it's got a good energy to it i enjoy like i think i just don't like henry hill i know he's a real person but as a character i just don't care and i don't like every time i watch i'm like man i don't like henry hill <laughs> that's fair i love goodfellas um yeah i love goodfellas as well but uh, I'll be interested to see your final ranking. This is the thing about rankings though, right? Like, let's say, I'm, I'm just making this up for you, Zach. Let's say you put Goodfellas at four stars and then you just have like nine movies that are five stars. It doesn't mean that you don't like it. It's just like, you know, like this is the thing with the Kurosawa ranking. People are always like, everything is terrible. I'm like, well, yeah, but like, the first 13 or five stars like what do you want me to do <laughs> just, yeah and I, you almost feel like you have to put a disclaimer in the list to say by the way i like all these movies apart from like the bottom three or something yeah exactly yeah and it, you know it's it, but it, usually what it really gets into a scorsese is like i'll put the irishman above goodfellas and they're like i can't believe you like i was like i like it better i just think it's a better movie and people get weird about it like I feel there's always like these canonized ones. Like everyone needs to have these three as their top three. It doesn't matter the order, just as long as it's these three. And then if you don't, you get, I I think I showed somebody my Tarantino ranking one time. And because I put Jackie Brown up high and I put Pulp Fiction on the lower end, it was just like immediately like contrarian opinion. I'm like, no, (laughs) like, I don't care. I I put, I have like the Halloween and the thing is my two favorite, like horror movies of all time. I'm not here to be contrarian. Like, (laughs) there's just certain things that don't go for me as well yeah this is random but uh what's the movie called killer killers of a flower moon yes 
So that was shot in my parents' hometown. Oh, really? Where? Uh, what is that? It's it's called Bartlesville. It's in Oklahoma. Okay, so they did shoot in Oklahoma. That's really cool. Because I know, yeah. uh, I as I'm, I'm I know the Osage people have given it their blessing. Um, oh, they're cool. very interesting people, anyway. Because I won't go too far into it, but they were very pro-American. Like they 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 fought in the Revolutionary War. They fought in the Civil War they bought their reservation land like they are so to see like how the u.s government ends up treating them is makes people very angry especially when you read the book so i'm very curious how how it'll be handled but so far the osage people were very uh supportive of the film that's cool there's a just something to watch out for there's a there's a priest in that movie that -hmm. i think has some scenes with de niro or maybe is i don't i don't know It's, it's not it's not a huge role but it's not it's it's more than one line and okay. that was my that was my mom's uh priest for for the last 20 years until he retired i'm very excited to look for that now i'll have to remember that because I, I don't think we get it until like october okay Pants got okay. it last night so it'll be a little bit got you got you yeah um the last one that was shot there was um shoot it was there was a terry malick movie that was shot there that nobody likes uh yeah, and then night of cop no not night of cops it's the la one and then there's one called Song August Songs? Osage County that was shot there. That's not a Malik movie. Hold on. Uh, anyways, my, I remember uh, August Osage County. I remember that film. That had, it was like a family drama. It was a Meryl Streep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then what's that? It had, had was it August? It was um, the Malik movie had Ben Affleck in it and and Rachel McAdams. Oh, yeah, to the to the one. No, yeah, to the wonder. To the wonder. To the wonder. To the wonder. That was yeah. shot there too. And that was the time when I didn't know that they were shooting. And um, we were up there just visiting my parents and they were like, hey, do you want to be extras? And they ended up cutting the scene. But because we were extras, we got invited to Rachel McAdams' birthday party. Have I told you all this story? No, I don't think so. I feel like you vaguely mentioned it at some point about mentioning Ben, meeting Ben Affleck. But I yeah, can't yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was not in the mood to meet strangers. And, and plus I was, for some reason, even though I'm like in sales for a living and talk for a living, I got super awkward around him. Like, I didn't know if I should have made a, a, a you know, like a mall rats joke or like a chasing Amy joke or, or just go or reindeer I, games, go reindeer games. Reindeer <laughs> games. I just, I, yeah, I couldn't tell. Like he, he was kind of in a sour mood. He was just sitting there drinking with like a scowl on his face. And I think that's just Ben Affleck in general. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't feel bad about it. Bitch face. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. just I think that just that just seems to be him. So I don't I wouldn't be too concerned. And I also wouldn't be too concerned about your scene getting cut because there's like A-list movie stars that get their scenes cut by Terrence Malick. So I was about to say shoots, yeah, like a whole thing with thin red line. Yeah, like he, he shoots like five hours of content and like loses entire storylines and characters. So uh, I, I wouldn't feel too bad. I think Javier Bardem had like an entire scene, an entire role wow. cut out of one of his films. So wow. That's crazy. No, you have that in common with Javier Bardem. So. <laughs> me, me and Javi. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I guess I'll just quickly go, uh, or unless Adam, you want, I know you said you didn't have a ton. Do you want to uh, go now? Yeah, like the only thing I've seen recently, um, I saw the new Evil Dead movie, Evil Dead Rise. Um, and if you haven't checked out Zach's little recap review on our YouTube channel, uh, please do that because it's really good. Um, and I pretty much have the same kind of thoughts as Zach with it. You know, it's it's fun. It's Evil Dead. It's bloody. It's gory. There's a bit of comedy thrown in. Some of the some of the dialogue is just insane. Some of the shit that the characters say to each other. Um, 
it went in a, a direction that I didn't expect it to go. Um, but then also I would agree in Zach's thoughts that it didn't really utilize an urban setting as much as it should have. You know, they're in an apartment building, but they only stay on one floor for like 90% of the movie. So um, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was a fun time. You know, you kind of get what you pay for with an Evil Dead movie. You're going to get some gore. You're going to get some awkward laughs. Um, you're going to get some demons. Um, so I think it had delivered on all of those, but probably could have been more. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. I had fun. And it's tough because like all the Evil Dead movies are good. Like I like them all. Um, it's a very consistent franchise, mm. but it's because it, it feels weird for me to say, yeah, I think it's the weakest one. And I still really liked it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a compliment in its own way, I suppose. <laughs> they've, they've kept the quality high. Is yeah. there still uh, Alejandro Daia or whatever the? No, it's an Irish director, uh, Lee Cronin. Uh, he he's the he's the guy that, that wrote and directed ground, it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did the film Hole in the Ground. That's where he got his name. Um, and he did this. He wrote and directed this one. Um, I saw that basically what, um, what Raimi's plan is basically just to have new people kind of just jump in and out of the franchise and just sort of tell different stories rather than trying to do. Like a cohesive storyline oh, cool. um, that's what i read they're just going to get different people to come in and sort of interpret the the lore in their own way and tell different stories and stuff Love which that. i think is pretty cool it's kind of the best uh-huh. way to do something like evil dead isn't it because there's only so much like you know I, everyone loves uh, you know bruce but like there's only so many times you know, you can watch the same dude with a chainsaw fight demons. So, um, yeah, yeah. you know, for, and for something that doesn't have, you know, uh, a singular villain, there is no, there is no main demon or anything like that. You know, it's just a, a group of, uh, of, of undead demons. You, you, it's one of those franchises where you can just take it in different directions and different places every, every film. And it doesn't actually matter. Um, you know, you're just you're you're just getting a move around. You can try different things in different settings, which you know this film tried to do. You know, it brought it to an urban setting. It took it out of the cabin in the woods. Um, it didn't do enough with its urban setting, but you know, it was still different in, in that sense. So, you know, if they go that direction with the franchise, I think that's a pretty good way to go with it because they have that freedom of not having you know a singular big bad. It's just the demons, basically. <laughs> Wherever the book goes, the demons can go too. Though I would totally be okay if they want to do a fade A one to come back and do a sequel to the 2013 film. I'd be cool with that. The, the, uh, the Hellraiser franchise is one that does that, right? As long as somebody ends up with that puzzle box, then they get to experience the, the pain and the pleasure. Um, yeah, I think this is the good thing when you don't have a singular sort of overarching villain that you have that freedom that like say, I know Evil Dead and Slasher movies are not the same thing, but and same with Hellraiser, they're not really Slasher movies, but like, that's the kind of the, the problem with Slasher movies, if you want to say so. There's only so many different ways you can have Jason or Michael Myers cut somebody up without getting ridiculous. You know, we see that with like, you know, like Jason X going to space or Jason takes Manhattan or Jason takes a, a boat to Manhattan, whatever way you want to play it. And <laughs> um, I think that's Scream kind of gets away with it a little bit because like Ghostface, anybody can be Ghostface, anybody anywhere can be Ghostface. So Scream kind of gets away with it. Like, it's funny mm-hmm. when you think about it, like only two, two, sorry, two, three, only three of the six Scream movies take place in Woodsboro. 
even though it's an iconic sort of slasher location, only half of the films actually take place there. You know, the, the rest of them take place in, in other locations because it doesn't actually matter. You don't have to explain how Michael Myers got to New York or how Jason got to New York because someone in New York can be the killer. So, you know, when you have franchises like that where they don't have an overarching big bad, you have the freedom to sort of play around with the settings and stuff, which I, which I always like. I'm just excited we got the Friday the 13th quota in for this episode from Adam. I'd be really upset if we missed out on that. <laughs> oh yeah, we have to hit our we have to hit our quota. It's probably been a while since we mentioned Friday the 13th. Um, they, they need to maybe make a new one or something just so that we can get our quota in. But uh, we're, we're good for this episode at least. Uh, let's see. I'll be fast because um, there's just a few that I want to highlight. So... First of all, um, I saw the original, actually not the original, there's one in the 30s. I saw the 60s film called Maniac, which is a Hammer film. So I can say I've seen a Hammer film now. Uh, and in fact, I've seen two now. Uh, I saw Maniac and then just recently I saw The Gorgon, um, which is the Medusa one. That's Peter Peter Cushing. That oh, one. yeah. Yeah, PD Cushing and Chris Lee. Oh, both of them. Cool. Awesome. Oh, I, yeah. I've, I've only seen a few Hammer films myself. Um, the the one that they did together, Curse of the the Curse of Frankenstein, is great. I'd really recommend that one. That's a it's a really darkly funny film for a Frankenstein movie. It's just, it just has a lot of just like the, the Hammer films in general. Well, I can't speak of the two that you watch, but the Hammer films that I've seen, they have this sort of that dry British drawl humor thrown yeah, in yeah. with their horror. Um, the Curse of Frankenstein is good for that. I don't know if you experienced that yourself. I would say the Gorgon is more like that, uh, for sure. Like I felt like what my what I expected to see when coming into a Hammer film, I saw in the Gorgon. It's just over the top, and uh, Chris Lee has on like some bad makeup, uh, bad prosthetic makeup, looking a lot like Nick Cage, which was kind of awesome, and um, really hamming it up. But uh, Maniac was oh, was awesome. It's um, Zach. Have you seen it by chance? I think you'd love it. No, I haven't. I'm actually like. I've seen some Hammer, but I've definitely never done a deep dive. Well, yeah, count, count me two in to my deep dive here. But Maniac is all about uh, a guy who is, it, he essentially is a, like a flame torch. Like, you know, like you see in like metal metallurgy, like like those torches that just shoot like, like a beam of flame out. Okay. Like, he, a, like, that, a, like, a, like a blowtorch. A blowtorch kind of, yeah, yeah okay. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's and that's his weapon of choice. And, okay, I'm into that. And yeah, and it's and he traps people in like it, it follows this guy who's uh it, and the, the plot is just insane. It's like this guy falls in love with the daughter but but marries the mom. <laughs> and so there's like there's like that subplot going on, and then the, the dad is in an insane asylum, but he escaped and is watching them and there's a blowtorch involved in the in the last act. Uh it's it's pretty great. Um, saw the original The Fly and I'm just gonna like I just want to talk about that movie to anybody like that movie is so underrated it's awesome it's so good and it, and it uh, is because it annoys me how much people say how corny it is and I'm like I don't think you've seen it like it's definitely like not as gross as like the Cronenberg one and Dark but I wouldn't I, I, personally I never saw it as corny but I hear it all the time yeah, I think it, I just I just had a fun time with it. It's like, you know, he shows up with a basically like a furry costume on uh, like this giant fly head. 
and uh and she just has to do that there is a scene in particular where she's trying to swat a fly in the room that but you can't see the fly and so she she just overacts like crazy and it's good but no the the it's anyways i had, I had a blast with it so um fun fun movie and then uh the only other one i'll kind of talk about here um is uh it's the the spine 108 for anybody that cares actually arrow doesn't do spine catalog number 108 <laughs> for their american release is george romero between uh night and dawn okay uh, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a green box yeah yeah and the second one is season of the witch and that's, yeah that's an interesting one like i just felt the whole time like i was watching a pornography film without any of the porn it's all yeah. you get all you get is like the low budget and the bad acting and and the ridiculous plot and i was like come on and like the whole premise like the big I, i'm I'm gonna spoil it here so sorry for anybody who hasn't seen season of the witch but like the build-up is that this kind of housewife is in um what's the movie where oh the stepford wives where they're all like robots or whatever this is more like there's a coven of middle-class bourgeois women that are becoming witches and there's like a scene in the end where she has this big reveal where she's at a dinner party and she's like but i'm a witch and it's like the whole big like reveal for and i was like for five, like 90 minutes of this like horrible i don't know anyways i was not a fan i was trying to find, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to get into uh the, the last one is the crazies in that set which i've heard is pretty good so i'm excited to get into that the crazy is crazy yeah it's crazy yeah it's crazy it's like it's just like vietnam the movie <laughs> oh really yeah it's just like it's just like pure like like there's yeah it's just like pure vietnam metaphor it's like if you condense vietnam metaphors into a film that's the crazies <laughs> okay well he was very preachy early in his career did um, um speaking of hammer though have you seen the the woman in black by any chance with daniel Radcliffe? Oh, with Daniel Radcliffe, yeah, like when it came out, so you know, however long that was, like ten years ago or more. That's was technically that ha- a Hammer film. Is that technically a Hammer film? Cool. Yeah, Hammer Productions made that. My experience with Hammer, um, and I won't, I won't make this too much of a sidestep. Um, so, a lot of my journey in film, from like as a young age, was all thanks to my grandfather. I used to stay with him a lot during the summertime. Stay at my grandparents for a couple of weeks, and he'd show me movies. Like he showed me Jaws for the first time. He showed me Psycho for the first time all when I was like sort of 10, 11, 12. Um, that's what kind of got me into horror uh, at that age. And there, Hammer used to do a series, a TV series uh, called Hammer's House of Horror. It was like, a, it was just like an anthology series. It'd have like a different story every week. And it'd always be like really macabre. And it's just, it's built into my brain, the, the, an episode that I watched him called The House That Bled. Um, and it's just like, really weird story but his family moving into a house and like literally like the the walls start bleeding and like there's like a haunting and all that stuff but there's a really great twist at the end and they used to have like sort of twilight zone style twists but like they were very much in the vein of like hammer horror in terms of the style and stuff so um i don't know if they're like available to watch anywhere or if they're on blu-ray or whatever i remember years and years ago when i was still like a young teenager my dad had like a dvd box set of it but if you ever get a chance to watch any of them, uh, Hammer's House of Horror, it's just a cool little uh, series. Like every episode is just its own kind of self-contained story. 
um, and they're very, very hammer in terms of their the sort of aesthetics. It is free on Tubi, apparently. So I don't know about the go. rest, but that's at least there. Well, at least watch the episode, The House. I think it's called The House That Bled or The House That the House That Something Blood or something like that. It's something along those lines. Uh, I'm going to look it up now, actually, because it's about to annoy me. Might be you too. Let me see. The House That Bled to Death. That was it. Yep, just found it. Nice. Yeah, The House That Bled to Death. Uh, recommend that. <laughs> um, or what year was it? 1980. Yeah, so it was episode five of Hammer House of Horror. So if you get a, ever get a chance to to see it, I'd rec- I'd recommend that episode. I I don't remember any other episode of it. That one is just kind of sort of that's like a deep memory for me is watching that uh, and being quite frightened of it as like an 11, 12 year old before I'd sort of gotten properly into horror. It sounds like kind of darkly tragic. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I might check it out here soon. I always kind of like I got into like the Westerner, which was like a Sam Peckinpah show, like from the 60s. So I kind of like these shows that just didn't make it, but they were made by like either like big productions or certain directors and stuff. I find it kind of neat and it doesn't take a time investment. Well, I suppose we'll move into what we're actually here to talk about today, uh, unless anyone else has anything to bring up. No, the only thing I'll just say is the Severn bundles are shipping now. So I got my uh, I got my uh, bundle with the uh, E.T. ripoff called Extraterrestrial Visitors. Oh. <laughs> I love Italian ripoffs so much. Uh, I haven't seen <laughs> it yet, but I was excited to get that bundle in. But uh, no, not a lot in terms of pickups. Let's go. Let's go talk about some some standoffs and political activism. Yeah, Zach, why don't you give a, an introduction as to what we're going to be talking about today? All right. So um, for anyone who may have missed last week, uh, my picks were mainly uh, to pick two films because I kind of have an issue with the term thriller in most cases because I think it's either misused and I just most of the time choose not to use it. But I decided to pick two films that I thought actually fit the term thriller pretty well and what I at least think of when I think of this really vague genre description. So the first one I wanted to uh, pick was the standoff at Sparrow Creek, uh, uh, the standoff at Sparrow Creek, which was the first film by uh, filmmaker Henry Dunham that came out in 2018. Uh, Jesus, long description on Letterboxd. Uh, so let me go through this. After a mass shooting at a police funeral, reclusive ex-cop Gannon finds himself unwittingly forced out of retirement when he realizes that the killer belongs to the same militia he joined after quitting the force. Understanding that the shooting could set off a chain reaction of copycat violence across the country, Gannon quarantines his fellow uh, militiamen to a remote lumber mill that they call their headquarters. There he sets about a series of grueling interrogations intent on uh, ferreting out the killer and turning him over to the authorities to prevent further bloodshed. So, um, Chris, since um, I'll start with you, since I think you didn't fall asleep in the middle of this one, so we can (laughs) hear your thoughts about it. Um. It, it won me over. I think I'm going to say I like this movie a fair amount. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the like subgenre of action kind of thrillers called what I call like aggressive whispering movies, mm-hmm. where it's just men being more macho than the other guy and just being like, well, it looks like we got a problem. <laughs> like, you know, like I just I don't know. As soon as I see that, my brain kind of shuts off a little bit. So in the beginning, I was like, oh, for fuck. OK, but. But, 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 credit to Dunham. Durham or Dunham? Henry, Henry Durham? Uh, Dunham. So Dunham. Henry Dunham. Okay, Henry Dunham. Hen- credit to Dunham. 
he's a pretty good writer. Like, there's actually like this. If you told me this parts of this were written by Mamet or or overseen by Mamet, I wouldn't have uh, I, I wouldn't have thought it. Especially, I think his character Keating was his most interesting to me. Without um, um, the the kid or the younger kid, I, I really like the way he was written. And that actor is a hell of an actor. Um, and and then I I really want to talk about the last set piece because that was probably one of the more visually interesting things I've seen in a decade. Like I just like it was amazing. So um, yeah, it won me over. I'm, I'm glad I saw this one. This is cool. And I you know we can get into some of the political activism stuff here in a minute and get canceled by by social media. But uh, um, Adam, what about you? Uh, yeah, at some point I'm going to need some context about militiamen as the resident non-Yank. I, I don't really know what that is. I didn't know if these were like good guys, bad guys. If they're going to be shooting up cops, I assume they're the bad guys, but you never know with American cops. So yeah, I'm going to need some context around uh, <laughs> militia men and, and militia stuff. But um, in terms of the film itself, uh, yeah, I liked it. Um, you know, it was... It was taut. It was thrilling. So it, I, I think it fits the, the thriller. But as you said, it wasn't one. Of, it wasn't like a, a freaking Fast and Furious movie or whatever. You know, it was it was one of the, it was a film where. It was well, there's, there's actually there's a there's an exact thriller subgenre description I'm trying to think of like a hard boil, slow burn. One of the, yeah, one of those terms maybe fit a little bit better. Um, because it's, it's a very quiet film. I don't I don't think there's any music. I don't recall hearing any like theme music at all. It's a very quiet, sort of mm-hmm. low burner kind of a film, uh, which I really enjoyed. The cast are all great. It's all full of like character actors that like I see their faces and I'm like, oh shit, I need to pause this and find out where I've seen this guy. And then another five minutes later, I'm like, right, I better pause it and find out where I've seen this guy. Um, as I recognize like most of the actors, Chris Mulkey was the one I recognized the most because he's in Twin Peaks. So um, that yeah. was uh, an obvious one for me. Um, but the rest of them, like I've definitely seen this guy somewhere. So I had to like keep pausing it to like go onto their uh, letterbox to see where I've seen them. Um, the writing, you, you mentioned the script. So I'll just kind of talk about the script. There was parts of it. And you, I, I thought it was funny that you mentioned like playwrights because there was parts of the script that I thought were very, very scripty. And, um, you know, that, you know, I was listening to go and these dudes aren't really saying this, you know, in real life, are they? It's there was very scripty moments in it um, yeah. from some of the dialogue. Um, but overall, uh, I like the film. I'm a bit on the fence with the ending. You know, I with, too. well, I figured we'll talk about that, but I, I yeah, for both we'll to talk about. Yeah, I'm a bit on the fence with the ending. Um not in terms of like, you know, like you said, with the set piece and how it played out, thought it was really cool. Um, just with how it fits with me actually sitting and enjoying and watching this movie. Uh, but overall, you know, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Had a good time. It was an interesting mystery. Um, and yeah, it was a good, good movie. Can I, can just really quick before you go, Zach, can I, I so I was, there's a, a Vinegar Syndrome Discord that I'm become more like active in recently, mm-hmm. since I'm on Discord anyways for, for our group. And I was, I posted, they have like a now watching channel. Um, uh, so I posted in there and I was chatting with somebody about it who loved this movie. And and I was like, in the last five minutes, I said, okay, final set piece moves it up two stars for me. Oh, ending knocks it back down half a star. 
<laughs> yeah, so I think I, I'm right there with you. Anyway, go ahead, Zach. No, I, and actually, Chris, if you want to, or pick it up, I, I don't. I doubt it's on any of the lists. It's not. Sure. No, I checked. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. I, I was like, if you haven't, I, I would say because it's pretty new, um, and a little history about the film. So this was one of, if not, well, I won't say the last, but it was definitely the last one before all, all the controversy came out around Cinestate. Uh, we did talk about Cinestate once before when with Bone Tomahawk, they were a indie studio um, that got a bit of controversy. So um, this was one of the final ones. And I think that actually did hurt it getting any, because a lot of their other films at least did get a lot of marketing. This one didn't get quite as much. And I think it was because it was kind of like dead in the middle of all that. Mm. But I will go ahead and uh, answer the best I can, because I do think they purposely keep this vague because I mean, this isn't something in all intents and purposes, these people are doing criminal activities. They have automatic weapons, which for most people, unless you do the paperwork, is illegal to own in the United States. What they're mainly doing, at least from my interpretation, is um, these are men who are more than likely very pro-2A, uh, very pro-Second Amendment, because a uh, big part of that, the bare arms part, is probably the most famous part of that amendment. But the other part is uh, it is required to have a for essentially it says to have a free state you need a well-armed militia and so some there are probably more than likely groups of people who get together who are very much see themselves as militia types they collect weapons they probably do odd jobs for certain things and they're usually ex-military ex-police of some sort so that is kind of from what i gather because they do keep it kind of vague what they're what they're doing here is the well-armed militia type people what's the purpose of them like what's their like what's their goal so isn't it like government oversight yeah it's a belief that you need militias to check and balance the government like if you it's this i uh, let me let me try to do this on the most amount of eggshells i can (laughs) (laughs) you picked the movie (laughs) yeah so i'm I'm trying to do this right um essentially the idea is that gun control is an overstep by the state and that these people will hoard weapons because of the idea that if the government were to completely overstep a group of well-armed militia would be necessary to keep a free state okay so essentially their idea is that if there ever came a time where they felt that the government wasn't doing what they were supposed to do they will be in a position where they can take control uh back from the government for whatever whether it be their county their state whatever Right. And that's a big part of like the film where they they're desperate to figure out who committed this the shooting at a police funeral because they don't want to look that gives everyone every militia in that area a terrible name. Like if they're official, if they're not, it, it gives people a very negative look at militia types that they are nothing but gun nuts who want to cause violence when that's not how they want to be perceived. They want to be perceived as a legitimate part of what the founding fathers intended when they wrote that amendment. That is kind I think, of like, I think context is really important too, because in 2023, I think it's hard to understand the origin of militias, right? But if you think about coming from a monarchy where there was no ability to overthrow the this family 
and then setting up a system of government. I can imagine why that was important for them when they were writing the constitution, right? Like, yeah, I, and I think, and I think it is, and I mean, I, I won't get into um, how people kind of perceive it today because I don't think that's necessarily too important for this, but it is an idea that people who are very passionate about this amendment believe it is a necessity and still to this day a necessity because the idea is for many that the for you know for many people the first step to government overstepping is to disarm your people and that's why many people become so passionate with it because of that fear it's almost like it's almost become kind of like a cosplay thing now right it's just a dangerous one because <laughs> everybody has like these really advanced weapons yeah, I mean, I guess to a sense, I think there is uh, definitely people who see guns in a very not beneficial way. Like they they yeah. like the power that comes from guns versus what the importance of it as a tool um, and the respect that, you know, something dangerous like that deserves necessarily, um, you know, because regardless, I think of how anyone feels about the ownership of guns. It is a very dangerous item that should be respected and taken care of and, you know, um, treated as it should be treated and not, as you're saying, like people do it with cosplay or with power or anything like that, which I don't think the characters in this movie necessarily try to portray. Well, they there, there may be one that is, and that's what they're trying to figure out. Yeah. So would I be right in saying so? Because this kind of helps me contextualize the film a little bit better. So because... You know, that I was kind of thrown as in like why they were so like, like I, I had assumed the reason why they were so intent on sort of portraying them as not being the perpetrators was because they just didn't want the police coming down on them. But would I be right now, just after sort of hearing that context, that it's more so a case where they see themselves as potential saviors and by them instigating this kind of fight by going to a police funeral and shooting it up. It's making them look like terrorists as opposed to potential saviors. Yeah, that's that a great right? Yeah, yeah. There's, okay. You know, it's this thin line, you know, when you look at the perspective of freedom fighters, the only difference between freedom fighters and terrorists is what side you're on. Yeah, you know? for sure. And, Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I get that context from an Irish point of view. So uh, I certainly get that context with the IRA and stuff like that. It's a very, it's a very thin line. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there's always, and when we talk about legality, now they don't go over if they can legally have these weapons, because there is a lot of complications with automatic weapons in the U.S., which I will, uh, one is, I believe it's a 1986 act that says any automatic weapon made before, basically when Reagan was shot, you can legally own to a point. Um, they are not restricted. Good luck finding one. They're very expensive, and there are so few of them left because most of them came from, like, Vietnam or world war ii or korea um so they're tough to get um and the other is you can technically do paperwork to give up another amendment right to own automatic weapons um it is a complicated procedure and it is difficult to get uh but essentially you give up your fourth amendment right they may have done this i don't know because they don't really go into the legality of their automatic weapons so i don't know if what they have is legal or not but i don't know if it's necessarily important either because it's just mostly going into you know, how they view themselves and, mm. you know, somebody going against what they believe is important in this case. Like they don't, you know, you talk to a lot of people who are going to be in this case, they're not going to care about the legality because 
they believe the government has already overstepped mm-hmm. by limiting automatic weapons, by putting limits on um, clip uh, on magazine capacity and things such as that. interesting and again just again from coming from a completely different sort of political context like is this like would you consider this a political film you mentioned that that um that studio um i assume this is probably the same studio to put out a lot of zahler's work it is the studio that put out two of uh s craig zahler's films and they also did run hot fight which was the school shooting film that ended up getting put out by daily wire after they shut down Okay, because um, obviously we, we talked about that during the Bone Tomahawk episode, right? About sort of Zoller's iffy, well, I'm not going to say iffy, but like somewhat controversial politics. This, yeah, this didn't feel political to me. Yeah, like this film, like I, I was interested when you said that it was from the same studio, because to me, from an outsider's point of view, um, yes, like there's obviously some kind of political element to it, but it didn't feel very pro sort of conservative you know it wasn't painting these guys as heroes it was painting these guys as kind of pathetic and i I think it's i think it takes a pretty fair stance of what's going on because like and i mean it's hard to talk about without the ending but i'll say it vaguely it's almost the sense that it you know if if people believe this is it too late so you can look at it that way or can you look at it as these are just terrorists or are they people who really perceive themselves as freedom fighters i think they take a very fair look at the type of people who become this and i mean obviously you know the main character gannon has good intentions he obviously wants to find out who did this horrible act for his own reasons for his own you know mission of what he believes is right but at the end of the day what he wants to do is morally correct even if the reasons aren't what most people would i mean i doubt he cares that much about the police you know even yeah. as a police guy I don't, I don't think he cares like what th- this is something the film did that i think was good for the most part because it, it did do a decent job of explaining certain characters motivations as to why they would be involved in this obviously gannon has that backstory mm-hmm. you know as to why he left the police so you know why he would be adverse to why he would join a militia now that i know the context of why militias exist it makes sense why he would join a militia because you know, he's seen firsthand how corrupt the police can be. So, you know, if they decide to do things on a bigger scale, you know, a militia is something that you're going to need to be a part of to try and combat that, mm-hmm. you know. And then there's other characters, you know, that, you know, that character who who they originally sort of were interrogating, um, whose daughter was sort of murdered mm-hmm. and, you know, reckons that the police kind of covered it up and everything like that. So, I think the film does a lot of does a good job at sort of painting reasons why some of these characters would be involved without romanticizing it. Because I think majority, for me anyway, like most of these characters were just losers, to be honest with you. Um, at least that's how I perceive them. You know, they just they're just people who are angry at the world and, and want somewhere to shout it. So they decide to go for the most extreme version of that. Um, you know, the only character that kind of that makes sense to why he would be part of something like this is is Gannon and um, because of the backstory that we're given um which was a crazy scene um some really really intense um d- direction work there framing and, and lighting and shadow really really great scene that whole kind of backstory for Gannon as to why he left the police um yeah I feel like I feel like I got a bit more context now so I, I appreciate you guys putting that in a better 
in a in a better light because you know I, obviously I understood the plot just from a from a, from a plot point of view but I didn't really fully understand motivations for certain things so I feel like I, I understand it a little bit better now yeah and I mean it, I guess and I, I think maybe and you can tell me when we get to the next one I feel like that's a little bit more of a universal thing that's still very American because of you know it's it's American issues but I feel like uh, the, at least the second one we'll go over might be a little bit more universal as far as like motivations. It's just an ecological kind of like activism movie, right? I think I agree with you. I think that's universal. Yeah. Um, this one, the, the only thing, um, you know, it's I, there's this idea that I had running through my head as we were watching, as I was watching this, and I'm curious what y'all think on this. Like, you have reservoir dogs which i would put in a similar genre yeah you have this and i was trying to think of like what what it you know this this tightly confined space where there's a high tension um that you the there's a whole world of stuff happening like outside of the room that they're in that's driving them to that's driving the drama inside the room right it's a cool it's a cool way to make a low-budget movie. Are there any others that y'all can think about in this kind of subgenre? Of... I mean, it's not exact, but I always think of these movies as like the thing movies. You know, it's it's paranoia. It's um, oh it's yeah, that's a, good. That lack of control. It's you know, it, and, and I, I do think Reservoir Dogs fits it better because there is that the police are looking for them and they're having so much tension trying to figure out. Of course, in that movie, it's who who set them up, and in this one, it's. Yeah. Um, who put them in a bad position um, to look the way they do. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, th there is a type. And I mean, I, I'm trying to think of. The only, the only two that come to my head would be Lifeboat from Hitchcock, where they're all stuck on a lifeboat. Mm -hmm. um, and also that Cloverfield Lane one. I can't remember what That's number. One. Ken Cloverfield Something. Lane. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of that. I, there's a few of these films and there's one that I just can't, pull the the details from about as you said just kind of stuck in a room and you don't really know exactly what's happening on the outside and that's that tension and paranoia is bleeding into what's going on inside yeah um it's it's a cool genre a cool subgenre um that i you know that that way to tell a story especially a low budget film yeah super creative best best way to do it really um you know obviously reservoir dogs is called like the heist movie without a heist um mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a cool way to tell a story. And there is a name for that. Like, and I'm trying to think of what I've heard them at. Because it's not just like, there's a name for it. It's besides just like one location, like phone booth and uh, stuff like that. But I just... I guess you could even throw a panic room in there a little bit, right? Um, yeah, I would say so. It's been a long time since I've seen panic room. But that I feel like that one gives a lot more perspective of the home invaders. Oh, that's it's true. Kind of does, do it, yeah. but I think it still kind of fits that as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the dialogue as well, Adam, because I, I always struggle. I, I go back and forth. Like, it, sometimes it's entertaining to watch dialogue like that, just to, but it kind of comes off a little bit of like the writer just saying, "Like, look how smart I am," or something, and I lose. I don't know. Like, like you said, it kind of loses uh, a touch on reality because people especially in a situation like that probably wouldn't talk in that way at least not exactly um i, I think a movie like dog day afternoon does a good job of be, being like you know the characters are more human i think in that uh, which is 
you start to almost like empathize with them more because you see they're not reacting perfectly and they don't have like a perfectly scripted thing to say. They're just kind of fumbling and like trying to figure out how to adapt as, as everything goes wrong. Um, I, I did struggle a bit with the dialogue. And I'd be curious to hear more about that from both of you. Far from a Cassavetes film. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I I do think that is an experience, because I remember, Adam, when you talked about in your episode with Tarantino, you talk a a bit about um, Pulp Fiction and its dialogue and the idea that it's very cool, but it also doesn't come off as realistic, even though it has been called that several times. Um, Perfectly. Yeah, it's like perfectly calculated. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think as, you know, these people who, who, who focus a lot on it, I, we talked about Bone Tomahawk that it kind of came off that Zoller is a novelist because of the way his dial, his characters talk. And it makes sense. He's a novelist. And it's, mm-hmm. you have these characters, these the directors and writers who really focus on dialogue. And I think always it's kind of weird when they first start. Uh, and that's not to excuse it. I, I do agree that there is definitely um, dialogue in this that you're like, it's good dialogue. But it, there needs to be a balance. And I think that's something you find more. And I hope he gets other chances because I was like, he's obviously a very talented guy. I'd hate for Cinestate to be the reason he never gets work again um, because he's very talented. And I think he would do better with more time with stuff like that. Yeah, like from a direction point of view, I thought the direction was, was fantastic. You know, some of the um, shot competition that he did, and I think I mentioned it, I think you mentioned it in your review, Zach, on, on your letterbox review about how, you know, he shot something as, you know, as boring as like a, an old lumber mill, you know, a, just like just just sort of boring factory warehouse kind of thing. But it always looks interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So I think his direction is really, really good. And um, it's just some of his dialogue obviously is, a, is a, you know, could do with a little work. Now saying that if this was a stage play, which, you know, for these kind of films where it's all basically in one location, you could easily adapt it into a stage play. I think the dialogue might work a little bit better. Um, but from a movie point of view, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, and it's not like, it's not like, a, it's not like it broke the film for me or anything like that. I didn't knock off a couple of stars because I didn't like some of the dialogue. And um, it was just like one of those like noticeable things Um while I was watching it, that just kind of took me out of it a little bit. Like took me out of the scenario thinking, that doesn't sound like something he would say if this was a real human being. Um, but his direction pulls you back in because I think he's a, I think he's a talented director. Um, and it'd be, you know, so, so he hasn't made any more films after this. Is that right then? Is this his only no, film? No, but I, at least last time I checked, he has not It shows, it. no, I was just looking that up. It, it shows he has four upcoming, but he hasn't directed anything. Uh, yet. Okay. Well, I, again, yeah, I would hope that um, if he's not a scumbag, I would hope that he that that he gets he gets work because I think I think he's a talented director. Um, that scene with Gannon's backstory blew me away. Um, the, the direction that's phenomenal. So, yeah. uh, really reminded me. Um, there's there's that shot where the lights. I won't go into spoilers, but like there's a shot where the lights are pointing towards the tree. And Gannon mm-hmm. walking towards the tree, and it reminded me of Zodiac. I don't know if, if yes got yes. that vibe from it. Yeah, um, so it. yeah, I think there was. I think he's a really good director. Um, obviously, it's just his. You could tell he was probably trying hard with his dialogue, but you know that's something that kind of comes with time anyway. So yeah, exactly. And I and I could see over trying it too when you're like, I have got to make interesting dialogue because ninety percent of this movie is dialogue driven like yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. i've got to do it <laughs> like so i don't know if you go a little too hard when you do that or 
what but i i can see that because i would probably think the same way like i can't have boring dialogue when 90 percent of the movie is dialogue and i mean to be fair to the guy this is his debut film right so yeah yeah you know it just comes with if if that's the worst thing you can say about this it's a pretty fantastic debut yeah um, and um and i wanted to ask you adam because you're the noir guy i don't know if this would like this the way it's shot falls under noir but there's something about i see in certain like more modern types of this where they do a lot of shadow work with yellow lights there's another one i've seen like that i don't know if it quite falls under that but it's what it always reminds me of like when i see this and dragged across concrete was like this as well where they use a lot of yellows and blacks and i don't know if that's uh, actually a thing in noir or not i suppose that's well, like with noir is always in you know all the sort of classic era noirs are always in black and white so that's the best way to modernize it i suppose isn't it so mm-hmm. using yellow lights to sort of accentuate those those shadows because like, that's probably one of the most uh, you know in terms of you know how noir films look sort of playing with shadow is like that's like one of the sort of cornerstones of film noirs so um i could certainly see that being an influence you know could we call this a neo-noir yeah maybe i don't see why not really it's pretty hard-boiled as a mystery you know, it doesn't have all the elements of classic noir, but not every classic noir film has all the elements of classic noir. So, um, you know, I would, if someone called this film a neo-noir, I wouldn't say it wasn't. Post-neo-noir. Post-neo-noir. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah coincidental. <laughs> well, I was thinking of that scene, and it's we talked, we touched on it a little bit with the one where they're interrogating the, uh, the young, what's his name? It starts with a K. Keating, uh, Keating. Yeah, when they're interrogating him, like those harsh yellow lights just like from showing from a distance like that mm-hmm. i just think that's a beautiful shot i that's the one that always sticks out to me when i think about the movie um and there's a lot of that within the film of the of him just kind of playing around with lights and stuff which i thought was really cool there, See, that's the an... thing you kind of i'm oh, sorry chris go ahead no 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 go ahead go for it man that's gonna say you kind of have to do that when you're shooting in a location like this so this is just completely on the opposite end of the scale here in terms of filmmaking apocalypse now um when brando showed up super overweight to apocalypse now they had to film him cloaked in shadow because they didn't want to show off the fact that he was hugely overweight um and this film is kind of like that in a way you have to film with a lot of shadow because you can't really show the fact that they're they're shooting in a very boring location right. so shooting your characters drenched in sort of light and shadow makes you makes a very uninteresting location suddenly look very interesting and moody and mysterious mm-hmm. what uh, it's a little bit the opposite of what y'all are saying uh but talking about shots you know um uh john goodman in a red wig that guy um yeah i know the dude you're talking about morris the oh, first okay. the first guy that gets interrogated i actually looked it up to see if it was john goodman in makeup um um there's a shot in there where he takes him down to this interrogation room and he says you know hey i had to pull you down here i think it's keating and then they they pull back and i, I don't know a lot about cinematography but what i one thing i understand or i've heard before is that if you're going to have a room that's tall, like the room that they were in was quite tall and also quite wide, and you want to show everything in focus, like that can take quite a bit of planning and, and setup to make that look good. And so I felt like that was a kind of a, a shot that I, I really was impressed with because they, they they pulled back and then you could see this, this just the size of the room 
um, and, and it, you know, the, when they were talking to each other, it kind of made them feel like more isolated, I think, in this giant room. I love that shot as well. And I want to say uh, the cinematographer whose name, let me see if I can look it up real quick. His name was uh, Jackson Hunt. This seems to be his only feature film. Uh, he's got a bunch of shorts and I think he's got like a documentary, but this is his only feature. And I was very impressed because I was like, I, I would watch more with him. if he. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he'll get more work. I mean, some of these shots could be in, in any director that gets talked about a lot. Like they could be in those films, right? And people would be like, yeah, that's that makes sense as like a Roger Deakin shot or something. I think this film has a lot of creative people that should and probably will get more work. Um, I think they're, it just seems like they were obviously just part of a, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time in terms of like the production company that they were working with. Um, but yeah, it's there, there, there's a lot of sort of people behind this film, the director and the cinematographer, who clearly very talented people and you know deserve more time to kind of hone their work as they could become they, they could become great. Mm -hmm. Showing plenty of potential here. Um, do we want to talk about the ending before we sort of? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so okay. we'll give us we'll give a warning. spoiler warning for sure. Um, so. The twist ending for this is that there was no shooting. Everything was orchestrated, you know, by the police in order to basically give an excuse to go and essentially hunt down and shut down this whole operation. Um, and that would then give them an excuse to kind of go after other militias. You know, it was all, it was all part of a sort of wider operation, it seems. And, when the twist first happened, I was like, shit, that's a, that's a cool ass twist. Um, and then I just kind of started thinking about it and I don't mind twists in movies for the most part, you know, twists can be fun, but it annoys me when a twist kind of comes out of nowhere. It feels a little bit like unearned. Um, Cause what I like about twists in movies is being able to go back and spot the clues. Um, and I feel like this film, is very light on the clues. You know, you have Gannon's backstory that kind of shows that the police are not the most honest people in the world, far from it. And you have the fact that there's an undercover cop part of the group. But that's all you really, unless I miss something, that's all you really have to go on. It's a little circumstantial, but I guess where they never heard this happened on the news, like because they hear it through a police scanner. And it's like, okay, because they would be listening to the police scanner and not the news. Because, I mean, you obviously can't air this on the news that a bunch of police officers were shot in a funeral, you know, because that's going to need a lot of explanation. <laughs> like when it turns out no one was shot at a police funeral. So, I mean, I guess there's little <laughs> stuff like that where you can kind of like break down the logic. But then the problem with that is you start breaking down, like, why didn't they look into, I know they took their phones, which helps. That helps kind of the scenario. But I was like, none of them turned on the radio and on the way there or heard anything. I was like, maybe they could justify it's, you know, they're trying to keep it under wraps until they investigate more, but. I don't know. A bunch of people shot an AR-15 on the on modern day news. I think it'll show up pretty quick. Yeah, like that, that was my problem. Yeah. Like I, I've I've kind of figured out my, my rating system on letterbox is a bit erratic, but I've I've kind of figured out a pattern of mine where 
if I like a film, but I probably won't watch it again, I give it four stars. If I like a film and I would watch it again, I give it four and a half. That's pretty much where I've landed. And this one ended up on four because of the, because of the twist. And it's because I feel like I have nothing to gain from rewatching this movie. Um, when you have a twist, you know, I feel like most of the time anyway, with twists, you kind of want to watch it again to see, did you see it coming? Like I'll, even though I don't particularly like this movie, I'll use Fight Club as I think Fight Club is like a perfect example of that because it's so littered with clues for mm. the twist that you do gain something from we from rewatching it. Um, because you can say you can sit there and go, ah oh, shit, there was this and there was this and there was this. How did I not see this coming? This is all in my face. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing, there's no secrets in in this movie. There's nothing, there's no clues, there's nothing to kind of look out for. You know, there's no magic tricks. I feel like it was just kind of tacked on. I didn't really feel like it was earned. And I feel like the director or the and the writer, I think the same the person. Same, the same person anyway, the director slash writer isn't giving you a reason to go and revisit his movie. And I think that's the worst thing you can do when you make a movie is to basically give your audience a reason to not have to watch it again. That is just to kind of spell everything out. Here's a twist. See ya. Enjoy. Um, but there's no reason to revisit this movie because there's no clues to look out for. Um, so that that kind of left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Um, not the nature, like not the actual content of the twist more so, but just the nature of there being a twist and that there was no, there's, there's no obvious lead up to it. Um, that's 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 my kind of main problem with it. I think this is a type of movie, and it, this I think this kind of goes back to like when you're writing dialogue and you know it's got to be a focus. You're like, let me make sure I spend a lot of time on this, and maybe spend too much time cooking it. I feel like that was the thing too. Like you get to the ending, and it almost feels like it was a movie, in a way, meant to have more of an ambiguous or anticlimax to it and then Mm -hmm. at the last minute he's like i can't do that so i'm just going to add this and i mean that's speculation for my part but i almost wish like i I gave the movie four and a half out of five i agree with that i love the movie i've seen it several times but i almost wish as much as it would piss off people that it would do more of an anticlimactic end you know something that it just kind of leaves you there this is what I was going to say. I think this, I 100% agree with you. I think for me, the strongest moment in the movie was when those bay doors open up, they're bathed in light, the smoke's pouring out, and these militia guys walk out towards the police, right? And then it's just, first of all, it's just a freaking beautiful shot. But also you're like, oh, shit, what's about to happen? And then they do that great thing with the, the light timer, like the automatic mm-hmm. light timer that goes off when there's no motion. And you see there's there's going to be no motion because the two dudes are on the ground with their hands up saying, we did it, leave us alone. The militia dudes are standing there with their guns pointed at the cops. And then I think if you like end it on the shot where the light timer goes off and everybody goes down and you see the bodies fall, like, I don't know if you end it right there or if you see them standing up and putting their arms up, maybe end it there. But I think it's... Yeah, a better movie. I was just going to say, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think it actually helps the message of the film more because I think they're putting them in such a gray box that at the end you're wondering who's in the right here, who's in the wrong, because 
I think that, you know, I think that, you know, whether or not how this is, how this goes as a political film at the end of the day, it, it puts so much in ambiguity. And I think having it in like you're talking about, which I think is great, just having the lights go off and then you just hear gunshots and that's it, I think is a stronger ending. And I think it fits more with the film as a whole personally. Yeah. Yeah, because that that ending scene there, if it, like that bumped it up at least a star for me, if not more, just because it was the tension was so high. Like he did a fantastic job, and then the explanation for everything, the breakdown, I was almost like, ugh, okay. Yeah, like I, I think even if they just got rid of the, the the explanation, like if if you kind of heard the voices and you heard the kind of the names being talked about by the police, but without the cop, without the kind of flashbacks and then without mm-hmm. the undercover cop explaining everything. Yeah. I think, cause I, I love an ambiguous ending. Um, uh-huh. I love an ambiguous ending. Cause that makes me think about the film for a long time afterwards. Exactly. You know, if you had left, you know, with maybe Gannon kind of staring, I'm not trying to tell the guy how to make movies, you know, we're, I'm sitting here in my fucking office uh, recording yeah. a podcast so i don't tell him the dude how to write movies you know <laughs> so that if it was me or well if this was a how, what would have made me enjoy the film more okay i'll put it that way i'm not going to say this is how i would have made the movie this if this is what would have made me enjoy the film more if they ended it with ganon just kind of looking out at everything and you kind of hear the voices that you we then find out where the you know the cops pretending to be different people and stuff you hear the name of the cop that was supposedly gunned down earlier being talked about and it just kind of leaves you with that leaves you with clues then you can go back and watch this film it's like did they say that name did did that voice sound familiar to me when they were talking Mm -hmm. on the radio earlier Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that gives you the clues to try and piece this together what happened but you know having the cop just basically explain everything it just felt like okay who gives a shit then thanks yeah <laughs> right yeah and, and i and i wonder if there's like fear there it's like ooh, will that am i being too ambiguous because i'm sure i've heard people talk about that when writing twists like of course you know the twist so you're like i don't have to spell it out but then you're like will anyone else get it and then yeah. you just kind of over explain it in a sense yeah but i i understand that and you know it could have been it could have even been like studio pressure and stuff to say you know you better explain what the fuck happened here. Otherwise, people might be pissed. Um, Look, our main producer is about to go to jail. We need money. <laughs> yes. What, what, what happened? Y'all are referencing a bunch of stuff. I don't, I didn't, what so, happened with Sinistate? So Sinistate was, uh, it was a production company of a man named Dallas Saulnier. I want to say it was his last name. Essentially, uh, he was called the Harvey Weinstein of the indie studio. Uh, area and i think that says plenty um he was a very um unsavory individual fair enough real real morris type yeah yeah (laughs) not a a friend of the podcast no i like your i I like the movies he produced but it was more like how he's giving movie he's giving money to these people who can't go to other studios that's great i I appreciate that but that's about it (laughs) well not not to say anything positive about weinstein but that's the heartbreak around him right because like the amount of movies that the amount of amazing movies that he was involved with, it's just like, damn it, man. Every time I watch Scream, I'm like, for fuck's sake. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly. he even shows up on Lord of the Rings and he didn't even produce it. And I'm like, man, that sucks. His name's got to be put on that. Yeah. Because it almost went through Miramax. I bought like every, like most Tarantino movies, um, at least yeah. all of his sort of first half of his career. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, we could sit here all day and talk about all the great movies that Harvey Weinstein's name is on. Um, but well, that's not. <laughs> well, that's not. Do we have any final thoughts on on uh, Sparrow Creek before we move on to the next movie? Uh, I think we did a good job uh, not uh, walking on eggshells for this one. So that worked out better than I thought it would. Yes, please don't cancel us. Um, <laughs> cool. So do you want to introduce the next film, Zach? Uh, yes, I will. I'm going to. Uh, for the second feature, we're going to, this is the, definitely the newest film we've ever done on this podcast. This is just being released uh, for Adam this week. And for us, it was in early April uh, called How to Blow Up a Pipeline by uh, Daniel Goldharbor, Haber. Uh, a crew of young environmentalist activists execute a daring mission to sabotage an oil pipeline. I liked that that one was a lot shorter. Um, <laughs> so I know this isn't going to be on anything yet, uh, Chris. So I'm sorry your job was not as useful today i apologize so um adam uh what did you think since we got chris's start last time um yeah my, my thoughts are fairly similar to for this one i don't know if you did this on purpose um you know for sparrow creek um i liked the movie um i didn't love it but like i was pretty entertained i thought it had a good sort of story uh, you know in terms of how the story was built and sort of general kind of message behind it thought it was really good thought the cast again fairly sort of wide cast i didn't really recognize many people this time around this is kind of like the gen z version of uh, a spiral creek i didn't really get i didn't really recognize these people um there was one i recognized um is it her name theo or thea or something um mm. the girl the girl with cancer uh, and yeah. she was in a she was in an irish tv series that came out last year by the same people who made normal people um so i recognized her and i think that was about it um but generally like the film another one where the ending is a bit weird for me um but yeah overall i thought it was an enjoyable watch i see why people are kind of raving about it it's been getting some good reviews definitely understand that has a cool message um probably a message i can get behind a little bit more than Sparrow Creek um but yeah pretty pretty solid movie for me solid what about you Chris since you fell asleep during it what, what bored you to tears <laughs> no I feel bad saying that it's not a You're boring movie uh I, I did fall asleep <laughs> um I think it was yeah it was after midnight and uh I'd had some bourbon uh I, yeah, the movie's okay. I, I, I did wake up at four thirty in the morning and and finish it. <laughs> so I finished the whole movie. Um, I, I have, I think that for me the the movie has to be a very particular type. The, the whole the whole premise is that they're they're just showing like one event, right? Like they're just showing the the the, the actual explosion of the pipeline, but in order to fill up time they give the backstory of the characters and they introduce them with title cards, right? To say like, here's Theo's story. Here's uh, Zochi's story, right? Here's like, whatever, Michael's story. And I, I think that I, I understand like, you know, that that's a fairly common thing, especially for low budget films or, well, maybe just films in general. I don't know. It's an easy way to fill up air. Um, I thought it was okay. Um, Maybe it's always a danger when you're making like a really like ecological activism type movie 
that there's going to be a, a natural inclin like a desire from the filmmakers to want to first of all paint the picture of why ecological ecological activism is important and so there's a lot i think in the backstory it's almost like um you know you you understand uh, they try to paint this picture of why this is important like from a, a caring about it perspective right so sometimes it can be a little heavy-handed with that um but uh there's nothing wrong with the movie like it's shot well and i think the actors for the most part did a good job and um yeah it was okay um i, I i'm glad I, i'm glad i've seen it it's getting a lot of buzz i was happy to have seen it what, what did you think um, I, I've really liked it. I've actually put it as my uh, number two favorite film of the year. Uh, oh, hell yeah. Especially because I had a lot of appreciation for editing. And I think this just has brilliant editing, like all the way through it. Like the way, um, one of my favorite cuts, and usually with editing, you're like, you don't want to make it obvious because bad editing is when you notice it, unless it's done really, really well. And then you appreciate it. Um, one of my favorites is when uh, Michael is going in there and working with the bombs. He's got to put everything together. And as soon as the explosion happens, it cuts to his story. And I think that is just such a great edit that, you know, it plays so well with tension building and release, tension building and release. Mm -hmm. It could have easily been a movie where, you know you're thinking the whole time like okay we the movie's called how to how to blow up a pipeline so obviously they're going to blow up a pipeline where else can you get tension from because we can't just slow burn it to that moment um and i like that's what i liked about going to the backstories especially which you kind of touched on is the reason people are in it the reason i do think it's necessary is because you have people who are from very different demographics they're very from yeah. different ages they're from different political like why is this redneck guy here that's not what you think of when you think of political activism but when it goes into a story you're like yeah that would be mm -hmm. a reason someone like this eminent domain is a thing people in rural areas they're very much wary of and you know they yeah, hate sure. um so i like that i i really appreciate it and then it showed the connections of how they all kind of got together and little things like that i just um that, 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 that was my, my main thoughts. I love, I, I adored the editing of it. And I've seen the director's previous movie, Cam, which was a very interesting Netflix horror movie that came out four or five years ago now. So I was glad to see him kind of return for a bit. The, this is the second time we're going to mention this movie today, uh, funnily for both. But like, there is something similar in, in Reservoir Dogs. Mm -hmm. The way it does that, it, it sort of builds you know, part of the present plot and then jumps to the backstory of a particular yeah. person. True, true. Um, and in both films, I think it works well in some instances and not so well in others. Um, like, I'll use the example, like the couple, the sort of two sort of punks. Um, you know, when their backstory happens, their backstory is important to how the rest of the film plays out. But I feel like it just gets thrown in at a part where I was like, ah, come on. You know, we were just yeah. getting we were just getting to the to the to the to the bombing. Like, where are we jumping mm -hmm. back here? So there were some parts where I liked it more than others. I, I know the exact part that you're talking about where he's um, you know, practicing building the bombs in the shed. That was mm -hmm. a really great scene in general, yeah. lots of tension and stuff. That was great. Um, so I remember exactly the part you're talking about. And it works in some instances, but I don't think it always works. And I have the same problem with Reservoir Dogs. I don't think the, the jumping back works every time that he does it. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of felt the same way here. I don't feel like we needed 
to see it as maybe I suppose all their backstory kind of made sense maybe you have to see it but I don't know I felt like the need to show each of them kind of individually uh, you know kind of it, it killed the tension in some parts for me and mm-hmm. um, I would have liked if they were if they had all gotten done with earlier in the film but then I suppose you have the problem with like I said this the backstory of the two punks is so in, is so linked in with how the film ends you kind of have to put it in towards the end somewhere to give you a twist um, yeah and I, I think for that one the decision to make you believe something throughout you know when she starts taking pictures and stuff like that you're like okay something's going on there and I think it's when do you reveal that and I'm not going to sit here and mm-hmm. say it was the best or the worst time to put it it's just uh that's that's definitely got to be the toughest part to pull off as far as backstory is like when do you reveal yeah. the truth yeah that that is that was that's kind of the problem now I'm thinking about as I speak about it like I say that it kind of killed a little bit of the tension for me but at the same time I also can't think of a better time to put that in um so yeah it's just it's just one of those I I can understand you know that, that was probably a really kind of tough decision that um you know when it came to writing this movie you know when, when you were going to put that in uh, kind of like the you know the the Tim Roth twist in Reservoir Dogs, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know why we ended up talking about Reservoir Dogs for these films. Uh, you probably did not plan for that at all, Zach. Um, that we ended up talking about Reservoir Dogs uh, so much for these movies, but they are stylistically similar in two very different ways. Um, so uh, it do, it does make sense that that we ended up bringing them up. But um, yeah, that was that was the only thing I kind of struggled with. But now that we're kind of talking it out, I realize the director's hands are probably kind of tied yeah and i I, and i guess there's always the argument like well if you can't find the best way to do it then do something else but it's like i don't know you kind of need that you need like there to be this because you have so much external drama you know they're building a bomb like there's Mm -hmm. so much that can go wrong when you have very uneducated people going in yeah. and figuring out how to do something incredibly yeah. dangerous yeah, but yeah. you need that internal drama too like you need like you have these people who are completely different human beings who have completely different motivations you got to have some type of internal drama there um, you, you know since out. since since we're solving uh, editing decisions on the on the show today <laughs> okay <laughs> since we're since we're telling people how to make movies here <laughs> um, i think i have an idea because if you wait to show the explosion till the end, I think there's an assumption that something's going to go wrong, right? But because nothing went wrong and the explosion actually happened kind of as planned, mm-hmm. I, I think it would have been cool to start the movie with the explosion, see it, and then like almost like get back into the backstories and build up the world and then cut off right at the point where the guy is about to hit the detonator or something like that. Right. I because there's the only- no there's no mystery in the, what you like at the end of it there's no there's no twist to the explosion like it just went off, right? So right. it was like so it was just cool to see an explosion but like that wasn't an interesting part of the story at that point because like nothing happened uh, um outside of script or off script. Maybe we've been doing this podcast wrong this whole time. Maybe we should have been picking films and then just trying to fix them. Fix them. There we go. There <laughs> yeah. we go. <laughs> They fix your films. 
I mean, I do feel, I do, I do see the the silliness of us sitting here and just, just trying to fix the movie. But for me, <laughs> let, let me, let me say that I would have enjoyed it more, I think in that way, because, because it, they took so long to build up to the explosion. I just assumed something was going to go wrong or it wasn't going to go as planned or something because it's like, well, why are you taking so long to reveal it? Right. I think that was just part of just making like building tension. Like I, like I actually really enjoyed the scenes where they were getting ready for the bomb. You know, there's that scene, you know, where again, the two punks are at one of the stations and the, the two, you know, whatever they are, guards or whatever they are kind of show up and you're like, oh shit, something's going to go wrong here. They're going to have to try and figure, you know, a way out of this. And, you know, so I think there is, I think there's a reason why they left the bomb to the end because yeah, okay. It's great for us to sit here in hindsight and say, oh, well, you know, the bomb went off without a hitch, you know, why did they do it like that? But like, you don't know that when you're watching the movie. Right. So it's just about building the tension. The bomb, something doesn't have to go wrong to, for it to not be tense. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that goes into the old, like, um, what's that old thing Hitchcock would talk about? The bomb under the table or under the bus, whatever it was. Like, And that kind of goes, I guess, off in the Shekhov's gun, too. It'd be real disappointed if that thing didn't go off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You'd be like, so. <laughs> like you you set it up for it to go off but um one thing i did think was interesting uh watching both these films and thinking about them for back to back um was because we were talking about a little bit of the last one about you know these people probably do see themselves as freedom fighters i thought it was interesting that you know they have a conversation in this one where they pretty much just straight up say they're terrorists and they're acknowledging that idea and you know because that's kind of a hard word to describe yourself as as a terrorist but it is also interesting that they make a huge point to do everything they can not to hurt other people uh through this so i don't know i just thought it was kind of an interesting parallel between between these like two groups of very different people i did like that they brought up the financial implications of the of the attack um just like that's something that a lot of people probably don't think about but that is a practical reality of stopping oil flow in the u.s you know like there are going to be people impacted by that so i thought that was that was clever um yeah you actually you bring up a good point they i, I like that they call it what is it jesus was a, a terrorist so yeah they, yeah they, they bring up that you know to the and that's what we were talking about earlier to the to the, per, to the right person you know anyone who fights for their what they believe is right as a terrorist depending on who yeah. you ask yeah one thing that kind of caught my eye watching it, and this is going to talk more about the technical aspect of it as opposed to you know the you know the, the plot or anything like that. The, the film did the film kind of look weird? To, I don't know if it's like the camera they used or the color grading, um, but like it didn't really look like a movie. It looked more like a like a HBO show or like a Showtime show or something like that. You know, like Euphoria. Or, or one of those kind of newer shows. Does anyone else kind of get that this film didn't really look like a movie? Am I, I weird? I didn't think much about that, but now that you say it, I can kind of see what you're coming from, and I do wonder if that's having his first film be on Netflix. Um, if you know you're kind of taught to shoot a certain way, because I, I think Netflix has a certain look to all their stuff too. Um, yeah. So I definitely see your point there, and I'd have to go back and kind of rewatch again just to kind of get a better answer for that or at least a better you know idea of uh, exactly what i'm thinking of now but yeah i i can kind of see that to be honest i do think some of the landscape shots look great um 
but you know that's kind of the thing about going out west too is the west always looks great <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i just couldn't tell if it was like the color grading or the camera but like it looked i don't know it's kind of like washed out it didn't have like a lot of high contrast or anything like that and again it could have just been a creative decision but yeah when i was just watching it it just reminded me a lot of like just like kind of modern tv series um as opposed to like a, a movie and i don't know how big of a budget this film had um i don't know if it was i know neon distributed it but i didn't know much about any of the the actual production companies or you know the ones who bankrolled the film itself so i don't know if it had, if it had like a big budget to work with or if it was a lower budget i don't know if you know that well, let's but... be honest any budget it had was to blow up that miniature oh yeah for sure yeah that's the thing <laughs> i suppose isn't it? that's where that's where you lose all your money but uh <laughs> yeah um it just it looked it looked not bad uh, i'll put that out there it didn't look bad it just looked weird i suppose the best way i can put it yeah I, i'd be curious to go back now that you kind of mentioned that and see um what i think about it going through again i'm sure i'll rewatch it again whenever it comes out but uh yeah i can from my memory i can i can see what you're saying yeah is this was it was it this one or was it sparrow creek that was a uh, xyz films movie as well uh, that would have been Sparrow, I believe. Okay. Because so, I was just thinking, it was interesting seeing XYZ films, because they, they're a Vinegar Syndrome partner label now, but I know they, they you know, obviously produce movies as well, but that was interesting. Um, yeah, they did a lot with um, Cinestate. I believe they they were kind of a co-partner with Cinestate for a while. Oh, okay. Because I think they, I think, I think Brawl and Cell Block 99 and, um, bone tomahawk were both xyz as well oh interesting okay i could be wrong but that my memory seems to suggest that that it's on the blu-ray when i look at it i'm trying to find how do you find it on uh what is it listed under under imdb they have producers oh well it doesn't matter oh i can i can look on wikipedia they're better at producers i guess um, adam loves imdb he can tell you how to get there <laughs> Is the last time he visited it in 2012. <laughs> the message actually, boards were still up. Well, to be fair, I actually go on IMDb fairly regularly um, purely to check the parental guidelines of the film before I watch it. Oh, that's so, right. <laughs> I actually end up on there quite regularly um, as much as I... I don't, I don't like IMDb as a, as a, as a grading system because I don't trust people. Um, I don't trust normal people. Um, <laughs> But um, their parental guidelines are, are very helpful. I suppose we'll kind of touch on the ending of this movie. There's nothing else during it we want to sort of bring up. Um, There's another film that kind of ended with a bit of a twist, but um, I kind of liked this one a little bit better, maybe. I don't know. Um, and anyone have any sort of particular strong thoughts on, on the twist ending? I mean, it's one of those twists. It, it makes sense. The decision makes sense. Um, I don't know if it's nece- necessary, but I get it. I, mm. I, I think that's where I kind of get left with it. Like, I'm like, if it's there, cool. If it's not there, cool. I don't really think it adds or takes away anything, which is kind of odd for a twist. Um, I don't know. What, uh, that's, what's, that's the twist? what's the twist that the, that the girl was an informant? Uh, well, I guess that's part of it. What I think of the twist, it's that the uh, two uh, the two girls end up uh, basically taking 
the fall for all of it, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, when they start cleaning up, you think they're all, they're all trying to get away, but it turns out they never planned to get away, and that was never part of the plan. Yeah, exactly. It's that, and like, yeah, the girl was an informant, but everybody knew that it was part of the plan that she was an informant because she was also yeah, able yeah, to yeah. get insider information that helped them complete their task. Right. So everybody was kind of in on it. And like it looked like for most of this movie, to me anyway, um, you know, when I was watching it, I was kind of going like, you know, how are these people so resourceful? Um, you know, these, these sort of random ragtag group of people are, are very, very resourceful for a bunch of, a bunch of kids uh, or young adults. Um, and, you know, you're wondering kind of how they're going to pull everything off. Are these all these people going to go to jail? Is there going to be an escape, you know, like a Tom and Louise style running from the police, whatever it may be. Um, and then the twist was that no, you know, everybody had their places. The two that, you know, were kind of spearheading it were always going to be the ones to take the fall for everybody else. And the FBI was in on it as well. So, yeah, I just thought it was a, it was an interesting direction to go with it. And it kind of made it made the rest of the film kind of make sense because during a lot of it, you have to kind of suspend your your disbelief in terms of like how are they getting all the resources that they need you know, when these are just a bunch of regular, you know, kids, you know, early people in their early 20s, you know, how are they getting all these things that they need um, to pull this off? How are they getting all their information? How are they getting all the mm-hmm. the, um, the knowledge? How are they getting all of the, the actual things they need to do it all? So, you know, it kind of makes sense that, um, you know, a few sides are kind of playing against each other. I still don't really understand the FBI's part in it as to kind of, you know, I, I, maybe I missed something and someone can enlighten me, but I still don't really understand. Like, I know, obviously, yeah, no, I'm not even going to try and put it all together. There's a lot of moving parts in this movie. I feel like this is one that I would watch again, even though going by my ranking system of four stars, I, it's a film that I would like that I probably wouldn't watch again. But now kind of thinking about it and talking about it and trying to put everything in context, I feel like I might need to watch it again just to make sure I'm picking up everything right with the ending. Well, well I mean, the, the FBI, yeah. I mean, I, just to make sure, because I, I didn't really get that necessarily the FBI was 100% on board. They just knew she was going to basically be a part of it and she needed to inform yeah. them when, before the explosion happens, whatever they're going to do uh, so they can get arrested, you know, with actual charges of, building a bomb and things like that um the part they're upset about is the fact that a bomb actually went off and she didn't okay. tell them anything. right okay so i've obviously mixed that up in my head then so it makes more sense yeah because uh they they knew they 100 percent knew she she was going to be there and her job mm-hmm. was to do something else but of course she lies later and says well they kept me in the dark and they just did it and you know i didn't have any part of that um i didn't know And they kind of just have to go with that because, I mean, she had sent them the correct information. Now, and uh, you know, of course, I don't think they trust what she's saying because they do start following the, uh, I can't remember his name. They, the, the guy at the university after the fact does see him getting followed. So it's right, Sean. Right. I think Sean's his name. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think they necessarily believe her, but she did give all the evidence that they needed for their, for them two to go down because I don't think they'll even necessarily believe that two people could have pulled this off especially one that's a cancer patient 
Makes sense then. Okay, cool. I, I feel like I do need to go back and rewatch just to make sure I fully get the ending because I did like the ending and it, and it got me thinking about different moving parts and stuff. So maybe it was a bit more obvious than what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, I, this was going to be an Oscar buzzy type, type movie, right? So happy to see it. Um, I don't know. I, I just... I've been trying to figure out exactly like why it just didn't resonate with me. I don't really have a good answer. It was just kind of. It might okay. have something to do with the fact that you watched it, you finished it at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think I need more genre stuff at that point. I need more uh, really like gore and blood and stuff at that point. To <laughs> the one week I don't choose that. <laughs> too much, too much brain work <laughs> in this, in this movie. Um, Right, well, if there's no final thoughts, um, I can go into sort of telling you, because I haven't even told you guys or given you guys any real hints um, as to what we're going to be watching next time around. Um, do you want me to do that? Yes, let's do it. I got to cool. pull up my letter box so I can... Chris is going to be... Ones. Chris is going to be so happy with me for this. Oh. He's going to be... And I'm not being ironic here. You're going to be so freaking happy. Okay. Um, because you don't have to watch anything new. Um. So last time we recorded, I made a joke that we should rename ourselves They Live by Radiance Films. So let's just go in on it. We're going to watch two films that have been put out by Radiance, but these two are actually streaming as well. So Zach, don't worry. You don't have to buy these films. Um, they are streaming. Uh, Chris already owns them. And Chris actually already talked about these two movies on our YouTube channel recently. So if you want to get a sneak peek into what his thoughts are going to be, your YouTube link is in the description, but we're obviously all going to talk about the next time we record. Um, so the first one we're going to talk about is currently showing on the Criterion channel. It's the George Armitage movie, Miami Blues, which is a really cool movie. It's like a, like a black comedy crime film uh, starring Alec Baldwin and Fred Ward uh, and Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, really fun movie. Uh, it's really good. I think it really mixes... Uh, crime and comedy really well I remember when I first watched it, I think I mentioned this on the podcast as well when I first watched it I read a review that described it as heat if both the cop and the bad guy were both idiots um, <laughs> which you know that's a pretty good description um, the next movie is showing on the arrow player and now stay with me Zach it's a French new wave movie but st stay, stay with me stay with me stay with me I just want to describe what the film is about okay. and then you can decide. So uh, I'll just read you a very sort of description from Letterboxd. Um, a series of crimes troubles the public tranquility on March 1968, Helene Picard, a prostitute sentenced to death two years before several murders is killed by an executioner, but immediately the violent crimes go on again. So it's like a, it's like a murder film, basically. So okay. uh yeah, you don't need, it's not going to be, well, I haven't seen it. Chris has seen it, but I haven't seen it yet. So I can't say if it's very much going to be like a good art film, but I doubt it based on the description. Um, so yeah, it, it is technically a French New Wave film, but uh, I don't think you're going to have much of an issue with this one, considering it's also like 69 minutes long or something. Um, so it's not a major investment of your time. Of oh, sorry. I never said the name of the film. It's called okay. A Woman Kills. Okay, I was um, like, did I miss it? <laughs> no, you're. I just didn't say it. So a, just confirm. 
Sorry. Chris, one of the no, no, just as an important background piece. One of the the short films this director made right before a woman kills. Um, the first three minutes of the short are people going into a restaurant where they can order different types of feces and comes down and they eat the feces in the short. Um, and it got and it got banned. <laughs> and uh, people, the the he was in with all the French New Wave like producers. Like he was in with the same people that were putting out all the new wave movies. And so they picked up the movie and nobody had any idea how to distribute this because it's just kind of all over the place. Um, it, it's like if John Waters got together with Boonwell and made a new wave movie. So I'll, I'll just leave it like that. It's It's got a cool vibe to it. Will Adam finally find a new fr uh, a French new wave film that I will like? We'll have to tune in in two weeks to find out, I guess. Yeah, so just confirm. So we have Miami Blues, which is on the Parade, Tyrion Channel, and The Woman Kills, which is on the Arrow Player. Um, but for me and Chris, we own them on disc. Chris has seen them recently. Uh, I haven't. I've seen Miami Blues recently, but haven't gotten around to Woman Kills yet. So we'll find out what I think as well. All right. So mostly work for me. Cool. <laughs>